Well, good morning, and again, Happy New Year. This is January 1st. Can you believe it is 2023? And we're rolling into a new year. With that being said, I would normally do a message that was geared towards this new year. But today I want to wrap up our series that we didn't get finished last year called One Family. We're going we're gonna to wrap up part 12 of our One Family series, which has been this walk through the book of Ephesians. Look, we've been on a journey for the last couple years of what it means to be a disciple and how we disciple others. And it was through, we spent last year looking at the life of Jesus and learning how to love and lead like he did. And we, we looked at Paul and, and the writings in Ephesians to the churches there and how he kind of talked to them about guarding their hearts against the attacks of, of the Jews that were trying to tear down the Gentiles and the infighting that was there and allowing the enemy to come in. And it was, there was a lot of issues that Paul was trying to correct with the letter to the Ephesians. He, he broke down the walls and barriers of racism, of sexism, of a lot of those things and trying to get the church to work together in harmony. And it's all going to come together and it's all going to be wrapped up in Ephesians chapter 6 today. Now there is one section of Ephesians that I didn't spend very much time, or I really kind of skipped over, and that was Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Because if you remember the last time we were together, Paul was dealing with parents, or well, husbands and wives, mutual submission, yielding to each other, uh, how we are to love each other, respect each other. Uh, and then he talked about how children, how children should be respectful of their parents and obey their parents, but also that parents shouldn't beat down or demean their children. It was about this mutual respect and submission to one another. That there is authority, but that authority is used to lift up. Just like Christ gave himself for the church, husbands are to give themselves for their wives, and the wives are to basically obey their husbands in the sense of caring for their needs and helping each other. It's a mutual submission. And we spent some time, and Pastor Jennifer and I worked on that together. So I hope that you understand that, that you, that you got something out of that. Now, the, the part that I left out was Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, which is this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Now look, let's face it. We no longer have slavery in our country, not in this context anyway. We do, we know that there is human trafficking, which is basically slavery in the sex trade, things like that. But legalized slavery, we no longer have in this country. And Greco-Roman slavery was actually different than the slavery that we knew in the colonial times in America. Uh, it was oftentimes people were sold into slavery in the Greco-Roman time. And basically, they worked for free to pay off a debt. 
They worked for free to do those things and they became slaves in that home because they couldn't pay their bills or whatever that was, but they weren't treated in the same way in, in most cases, the way we've come to view slavery. And not that's not to dismiss it, but it was a much different thing. I want you to have the context of that. But here's what Paul is saying. Look, and I'm going to take this beyond slavery. I believe this translates into us as believers and how we work for other people that we should be the best employees that we are, that we should work the hardest, that as believers, we should always strive to do our very best as if we're doing it for Christ himself. If he was our employer, even if they don't treat us well, even if we don't like them, we should be working. And then those that employ others should treat those that they employ with respect and dignity and to treat them the way God would treat us. And that, again, goes back to that mutual submission. That's why I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. I didn't want to spend a whole time on that. I just wanted you to have that peace. Now I want to get to our passage today. And this will be kind of the end of Ephesians. And looking at this, it's it's Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. And it's a, a message dealing with spiritual warfare, which is something we don't often talk about, but it's something very real. And so look at this, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I want to kind of read it first, then we'll break it down. But let's read it together. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. It says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these... Hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the Word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, so pray that I keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Paul's final words, they're, a, they're kind of a warning and encouragement. He's warning against the attacks of the enemy and how to guard against them, but he's also encouraging us to keep going forward, to pray for one another. And, and I believe that just as Paul was being bold in his preaching, he's asking us to step forward in that as well. He's reminding us that there is an enemy that's coming after the church to tear us down. So I broke this down into three parts. It all, I don't know why it always ends up in threes, but that just seems to be the way it works. But this really is three parts. And the first part of this is the battle. Who is the battle with? Who are we fighting with? And Paul is reminding us in verses 10 through 12 that this battle is not against people. That we are not fighting against other people. 
And you would not know that to think about how some people treat each other. We treat each other as if they are the enemy, when really the true enemy is Satan, the great adversary who's coming to tear us down, to render us helpless, to keep us from fulfilling God's mission. Look, it says in verse 10, a final word, be strong in the Lord's mighty power, put on all God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. There has been a spiritual battle going on from the beginning of time. When Satan rebelled against God as an angel and and a third of heaven came with him, there has been a battle because he... Satan is jealous of God's creation. He doesn't want to see us be redeemed. He doesn't want to see us inherit eternity with God. He wants to tear all that down. He wants us to be thrown into the lake of fire with him. He knows the end. He's trying to take as much of creation with him. And yes, he will use people to come against us, people that will be deceived, people that will be influenced, even sometimes people that will be demon-possessed to come against us. Man, I've got a friend who pastors not far away who have had witches, and I'm not talking Harry Potter witches, I'm talking about people that actually practice sorcery and witchcraft, that come into his church and try to disrupt, that have tried to disrupt his services. They've yelled, they've screamed, they've done all kinds of things. There is a spiritual battle going on there. And I know you're thinking, well, man, that's kind of crazy. But listen, it's real. There is a battle going on. The enemy is going to try and trip us up and keep us from where we need to go. 1 Timothy, Paul talks about it here, 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some of you will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? He's telling us that in the end times, in the last days, and believe me, we, the, we've been in the last days from the time that Jesus ascended into heaven until he returns again. This is the last days of humanity, the last days of this earth. We don't know how long that's going to be. Scripture tells us that a thousand years is like a day to God. So we don't know. Technically, that's kind of like day two since Jesus ascended into heaven. But here's the thing. It says that even some of us are going to turn away from our true faith. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.1. Because we're going to be led astray by false teaching. We're going to be led astray by the teachings of this world. The enemies, the demons are going to come in and they're going to water down our faith. They're going to take us and turn us away from the spirit and the heart of God. And I've seen it, man. I've seen some churches that operate more like cults. I've seen people be deceived all in the name of even Christianity. Forget all of the other stuff. There is a war that is being waged to keep 
us away from being effective for God and to keep us from reaching the lost for Him. If He can keep us distracted with all this other stuff, we won't effectively be modeling Christianity to other people. We won't be actively having spiritual conversations and discipling people and drawing them in, which is what we've been called to do. We've been called to go and make disciples. So that's what the enemy does. Look, he's waging a war against us and against unbelievers. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It says this, If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, who has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. He's talking about the veil that has been put over people's eyes that don't trust and believe in Jesus, that there is a physical veil there in the spiritual realm. And through prayer and through the preaching of the word, we tear that veil down, just like the veil was torn apart in the, in the temple when Jesus died that separated us from God. That veil that's over them that Satan has put there needs to be torn away so they can see clearly, so they can understand. That happens through prayer. That happens through us living out the Word of God and sharing the Word of God through the way we live with the people that are around us. But there is a battle that is being waged for the lost. That's what Paul's warning us. This battle is real. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. That's a battle. I know it's humans that put him there, but it's because of the enemy trying to slow down the work that Paul was doing. Now, Peter, in his books, in his writings or letters, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says this, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. There is a battle. The enemy is roaming around trying to tear us down. There is, he's actively waging war against us. He's looking for those that are weak, those that have become distracted, those that have gotten caught up in their own lives and are not staying active with him. But God didn't leave us defenseless. In this next section of the passage, he gives us tools to defend against those attacks. And that's what I want to look at is our defense to how we guard our hearts so that we don't fall into that trap, so that we don't become a part of that. So when I look at this, and, I, and, and Paul uses an illustration here that comes that the people of that time would have understand. Remember, this was a time when the Romans were kind of the nation, man. They were it. And Israel was underneath the rule of the Romans. And so you had the Roman soldiers and they were everywhere. If you've ever watched the movies and read through scripture, the Romans were there um, and their soldiers were everywhere. So Paul uses an illustration that most people would understand because they would know the Roman soldier. So a soldier prepares for battle by doing training and maneuvers, learning how to use the tools that they've been given, their defensive tools and their offensive tools. They don't just immediately go out there and start doing it. They don't put on their uniform or their armor 
and automatically know exactly what to do. There's training that gets involved in this. And so it takes weeks and months and years to prepare themselves to defend themselves. In the same way, we have spiritual defenses that God has given us, but it takes us time to learn them, to know how to use them, to understand their purpose. So we grow in it all the time. We're preparing ourselves all the time. And in verses 13 through 17 of of Ephesians 6, he gives us that list and tells us what they're for. So let's look at that again. It says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these things, hold up your shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So let's break this down for just a minute. Belt of Truth. We don't have Roman armor. I don't have Roman armor. But the belt, we understand what belts are used for. They're used to hold our our pants up, really. But in that time, they held the whole armor together. It kind of tied everything together and held it tight. It also was where the sword was kept, in the belt. So when this is there, and Paul's using, again, this is an illustration. Paul's using, he's helping, he's using it to help his readers at that time understand what he was trying to say. It doesn't translate exactly the same way to us, but I'm going to kind of put it in those terms. The belt, Paul is telling us the belt of truth, he's saying this truth, is what holds all things together. It's what binds everything together and holds it all in place. So when we remain in the truth of God and we understand the truth of God, it holds us together. Now, I found uh, kind of a, did a word study on this and word studies in the New Testament's where I found this, but it says truth gives unity to the different virtues and the, and determinateness, man, it's a weird word, determinateness and consistency to character. All the virtues are exercised within the sphere of truth. All these things that we're going to talk about are held together through the truth of the gospel. I hope that makes sense. So through the truth. The second thing, and I, and again, I'm going to go back to kind of a King James, New King James version, the breastplate of righteousness. It's not what it was, it, it's not exactly the terminology that was used in the New Living. It said the body armor of righteousness. I think you understand that. But but that part of the armor that protected, usually it was either mesh or metal, that protected the vital organs. The breastplate, it's what protected all of those things that were very sensitive. You, you didn't want to get stabbed there. You don't want to get stabbed in the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, all of that. You die pretty quickly when that happens. And so that protected the vital organs. The most vulnerable areas, when we seek to live a life of righteousness, now it said the breastplate of righteousness, to live like Jesus, it protects us from the attacks of the enemy. It becomes that breastplate because our lives are reflecting Him. There's nothing for them to hit at because we're reflecting Jesus and Jesus was pure. He's righteous. We carry, actually, we carry His righteousness on us through the blood of Jesus. But when we live out those things, there's nothing for the enemy to attack. 
If we're still seeking after sin, that gives the enemy ammunition to use against us. But if we're seeking out righteousness to live a righteous life before him, to live a life that is upstanding, to do the things, to live as children of the light, which Paul said in, in chapter 5, then the enemy doesn't have anything to attack. He can't get to those vital parts. He can't get to our heart because our heart has been guarded by him, by this breastplate. The third things are the shoes of peace. Basically, shoes to be ready to take peace wherever we go. The peace of God wherever we go. So wherever we're at, wherever we go, we stay connected in communication with Him, and we bring the peace of God. We're not bringing chaos. We're not disrupting things. We're bringing the peace of God to all situations. We're sharing that peace everywhere that we go. And His peace is carried with us wherever we go. So the, the, the fourth thing is the shield of faith. And in Roman times, shields were huge, man. They, they had this shield on here, and it was used to block and defend. That's our faith. In the same way, I think Paul's telling us that our faith needs to be huge to defend the attacks of the enemy. It says to, to attack, to defend the fiery arrows of the devil or of the enemy. Our faith. When we have faith in God, the enemy can throw everything at us and it's not going to affect us. When we begin to put our trust in Him, it shields us from all of those things. It keeps us from being full of anxiety and fear. It defends us against all of those things. Now, I know some of you struggle with anxiety and fear. And some of that is chemical and and there's a lot going on there. But here, listen... The closer we get to God, the more our faith grows, the less those things impact our lives. The enemies of the arrow have less effect on us because the shield is defending us. And the way our shield gets bigger, the way our faith grows, is by putting it to the test, by trusting God in those areas and seeking after Him. We've got to grow our faith so that we can defend. The fifth thing is the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects our heads and, and, and basically saying salvation protects our heads, our minds. It protects us from the attacks of the enemy and reminds us that we're his. Remember, I talked about the anxiety and fear when we are firm in our salvation. Remember, the enemy can do nothing to take away our salvation. If we let our guard down, if we let all these things come in, we know that that we can come to a point where we no longer know Him, no longer using the tools that He's given us. But our salvation protects our minds. We know that we are His. He reminds us that we are secure in our salvations, that we don't need to be lost in our own minds, our own thoughts, and our own fears. That we are His. And the final piece is both defense and offense, and that's the sword of the Spirit. Swords are awesome. They defend. You know, think about if you ever watch those great battle scenes like Gladiator and those areas where if you watch Lord of the Rings, any of that, you know, those great battle scenes that for some reason us guys really like. And there are a lot of women that do too. But you see them, as much as a sword is a weapon to attack, it also defends. And they use it for defense. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, The Word of God also defends. 
Remember when Jesus was, when, when the Holy Spirit drove him out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he fasted that entire time, no food, no water. And at the end of that 40 days, the enemy came and tempted him and he tempted him by offering to give him everything, to give him the world, to, to test God by jumping off a building so that, that God could protect him, all these things. Every time that, Je- that the enemy tempted Jesus, he used Scripture to defend. Just like a sword, he uses the Scripture to defend against what the enemy was throwing at him. So that's where that defense, knowing the Word of God, helps defend us against the attacks. It reveals the lies that the enemy throws at us because we know the Word of God. We know the character of God. That's why it's so important that we know the Word of God in context to understand, to study, to know. It's not, look, if the only scripture you get is from memes and things that people throw up on Facebook and other social media, maybe even some, unfortunately, some of the devotions that we get, they just pull a scripture out of somewhere and then talk for 30 minutes. Sometimes those things are taken out of context and we, we get lost in them. But you need to know Scripture, ask questions, dig in, and then that becomes a part of your defense. But what's really cool is the more you get it, it also becomes a part of your offense. That you're able to cut through the lies of the enemy. You're able to break through the the defenses, the veil that's there on the eyes of the people that are lost. And you're able to break through and get the Word of God into their hearts. So the last thing today is the offense. Again, we said the sword is a part of the offense, knowing the Word of God. It's there to tear down those things. But also, prayer is the key to all of this. Remember, this is a spiritual battle, and prayer is where it starts. In verse 18, it says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Be in an attitude of prayer no matter where you go, no matter what you're doing. Start your day with prayer, end your day with prayer. Pray throughout the day. That doesn't mean that you have to stop and bow down. That can be a part of that. There are those moments where you spend extended periods of time just in prayer, speaking to God and listening to Him and allowing Him. But as you grow in the Spirit of God, remember He's in you You will be in constant communication with God. It will become second nature. You don't have to sit there and wait for that next specific time. God will speak to you throughout the day, and you can speak to Him throughout the day. It's not God the vending machine, which is kind of what we treat Him like. We tell Him all of our needs and then wait for Him to spit out what we want to hear. It's not how prayer works. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. We are to constantly be in that attitude of prayer. Now, I thought about it this way. Paul used a military terminology with the, with the, uh, the soldier. Think about it like this. A soldier gets all these tools. He has everything that's there, but he still has a commander that positions him, tells him where to go and what to do, right? If you're in the military, your life is not your own. You're just, you go wherever you're supposed to go and you do whatever you're told to do. You've been given the training to do all this stuff, but then the the commanders are who orchestrates all of it. The Holy Spirit is kind of like that commander to us. We've been given all these tools, and the Holy Spirit reminds us of the scriptures that we need for defense and all of that, but He also 
tells us what to do and what to say and how to live to break down the barriers of the enemy, to be able to speak into somebody's life, those words of knowledge, words of wisdom, to be able to tear down those things. He is our commander. He's the one that's guiding us. So prayer is vital. It's what holds it all together. Now, I want to end with one last thing, and it's something that that kind of freaks some people out. And I'm going to be honest, I don't know all of it. I don't even know a tenth of it. But that's the spiritual warfare that happens in the spiritual realm, like demons and demon possession and all of that stuff. Remember when Jesus had his disciples, and back in Luke 10, he sent out 72 disciples. Remember, we, all, we, we focus on the 12, but there were many other people that followed Jesus, and he sent them out in twos. He sent out 72 people and told them to go preach the gospel and gave them some instructions. And when he came, when they came back, this is what they said in Luke 10, 17 through 20. It says, When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obeyed us when we used your name. Yes, he told them, this is Jesus speaking, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the powers of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Now, Jesus tells us in Luke that we have authority over the enemy. Over demons. That in the name of Jesus, they will obey us. Now, here's the tricky part, because in Mark 9, remember, Jesus goes away um, for a little bit, and the disciples were there, and they, somebody came to him, and they wanted him to, to cast the demon out of the son who was throwing himself into fire, I believe is what it was, in Mark 9. And the disciples couldn't cast out the demon. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, look, this kind of demon can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. So we know that if we don't stay current in our relationship with God, if we're not current in prayer, if we're not fasting and getting closer to God, man, the enemy's not going to listen to us. But when we are close to Him, when we allow the Holy Spirit to light in our lives, the enemy has to flee from us. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. It is a spiritual warfare, but we have the power of God in us. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We don't have to live in fear of these things. We just have to stay close to God. We have to live for Him, live as children of the light. Paul is sharing all of this because the spiritual battles are real. And he's pointing out, look, the Jews and Gentiles are butting heads in the church. That's the enemy trying to tear the church down. Even in marriages, because people are treating people incorrectly, it's tearing apart the marriage, which tears apart the church. And parents tearing their kids down and and kids not obeying their parents tears apart what God is doing. The enemy is ripping those things apart to try and distract us from doing what God's called us to do. So Paul's giving all kinds of warnings, wrapping it all up and saying, look, these things are real. The enemy is going to try and disrupt us. He's going to try and get us off task and off topic. 
off mission. Stay firm. Use these tools that God's given you. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Be in prayer. Know the Word of God. Guard yourselves with these things so that we can do the work of God. So the bottom line is this. The enemy is going to do everything he can to disrupt you. And unfortunately, the closer we get to God, the more the enemy is going to be actively after us. That stinks, right? It does. I know some of you are like, what did I do wrong? Why is all these things happening? Sometimes the enemy will use the circumstances of our lives to derail us. And it's not because we did something wrong. Sometimes it's just attacks of the enemy. Sometimes it's just life. I don't believe that a demon's behind every door. But we need to know, we need to, one of the gifts of the Spirit is to be able to discern those things. That's where the trust of God, that's where the shield of faith, all those things come in. The enemy's going to do everything he can to derail our families, to derail us, and to keep us off mission. Because the number one goal God's given us is to make disciples. And if he can keep us distracted with all these other things, we're not going to make disciples. And we need to make disciples. We need to stay connected to him and the tools he's given us to defend against those attacks and to then be on offense to be able to cut through those things so we can see people come to know him. Our goal, our mission is to make disciples. We're to love God with every part of our lives and love others as ourselves to make disciples. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray over you. Maybe you've struggled. Maybe you just feel like you've been beat down. Man, have faith. God is with you. He is for you. He has given us the tools. That's why we have each other to encourage and lift each other up. I want to pray over you today and ask the Holy Spirit to encourage you and strengthen you. Dig into the Word of God this year. Make it a point to study Scripture, to know Him. And then make it a point to actively seek out people to disciple. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for all that you're doing in and through us. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength, that you would help us to grow and use the tools that we have. We rebuke the enemy. We rebuke the attacks of the enemy. And Lord, I pray that we would stand firm in you through your Holy Spirit. Give us a passion for prayer. Give us a passion for your word. And Lord, give us a passion for the lost. Help us to be your hands and feet to this community. And Lord, I pray that your hand of blessing would be upon each one of us. Help us to grow closer to you, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you and Happy New Year. If you need more time in prayer, the chat room's going to be open for 15 minutes. Please click the prayer button. Allow us to pray with you. We love you, and we're excited about what God's going to do in 2023. We'll see you next time.